So, Alex, if you want to buy an apple, what do you do? Well, Dan, I think I do what most people do. I go to the store, pick out an apple, go to the cash register, buy it. And generally, that's how it works. If you want an apple, they'll sell you an apple. They won't make you buy the entire produce aisle, right? No, they won't. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. Of course, in most businesses, but not this one. Welcome to Town Winner Cable. My name is Miller. How can I help you today? I'd like to order some cable. Absolutely. I would like to help. I recently went to the local Time Warner cable store here in Manhattan, and I tried to essentially just buy an apple. Um, what type of services would you like to order? Well, I was thinking of just getting Comedy Central, CNN, and ESPN. You cannot get those. Unfortunately, due to contracts with our programmers, we cannot sell individual channels. We cannot sell individual channels. This is the way pretty much every cable TV plan works. If you buy cable TV, you have to buy channels by the bundle. That's what it's called, the bundle. It's like going into a supermarket, and if you want an apple, to get that apple, you also have to buy pears and melons and oranges and starfruit and kiwis and all sorts of things that maybe you don't even want. And many, many people buy cable TV. 90% of American households have some form of cable TV. And we're using the word cable here to mean essentially all subscription TV. That could be from your cable company or fiber optic or a satellite dish. And this is the way cable works. There's no way to buy just the channels you want. You have to buy them all. Which is strange, right? It doesn't work that way in most businesses, in most industries, in most areas of our lives. And Miller Riascos, the guy you talked to at the Time Warner store, Dan, he hears from customers all the time saying, why do I have to buy all these channels I don't want? They may not want certain channels, but it just comes with it. Do they ever come in and say, like, I just want to cancel Lifetime or something like that? Yes, they do. But they can't. And we should say, Dan, you're a reporter here at NPR. You've been covering the cable industry lately. And you are not the only one who's noticed how strange its business practices are. For example, there's this guy. Not every American watches ESPN. Not every American should be forced to watch ESPN. That is Senator John McCain, who every few years, it seems, he uh, rails against the cable bundle. ESPN, that mega sports channel owned by the Disney company, is a familiar target. And he's not exactly correct that we're forced to watch ESPN, but if you pay for cable, you certainly have to pay for ESPN. Some have described this as, quote, a tax on every American household. Others, like the CEO of the American Cable Association, have said, quote, my next door neighbor is 74, a widow. She says to me, quote, why do I have to get all that sports programming? She has no idea that in the course of a year, for just ESPN and ESPN2, she is sending a check to Disney for about $70. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. Today on the program, why do widows who hate sports have to pay $70 a year for sports channels? Why do any of us have to pay for any of those channels we never watch? It's getting expensive. The average cable bill has more than doubled by most estimates over the last decade. It's rising many times faster than inflation. And a lot of that money, the money we pay, is going to channels we never watch. You can stay all night and play with my TV. TV is the thing this year, this year. TV is the thing this year. Radio was great. Now it's out of date. TV is the thing this year. All right. So to understand how we got to our current cable system, it helps to go back in time, to a time before there even was cable TV, Dan, before there were hundreds of channels to choose from, back to when I was a boy. Our TV, like all TVs at this time, had an actual antenna on top of it, rabbit ears, and there were basically three 
national channels you could get, the big networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC. They broadcast their signal over the airwaves. And at a certain point, not even that late at night, they actually went off the air. WDBB now concludes its broadcast day. WDBB broadcast from facilities on Jug Factory Road in Tuscaloosa. At a power of one Dan, you don't remember this stuff, right? You're too young. I can't believe this even happened. <laughs> no, it, it actually did happen. I remember, you know, if you managed to stay up past your bedtime, you could see it. The news would end or whatever the last show was. They'd make some sort of announcements, and then an American flag would appear on the screen, and the national anthem would come up. And now, our national anthem. And that is the way it was until, basically, the late 70s. In the late 70s, into this relatively innocent and simple scenario, three channels, all of them in bed by midnight, into the scenario came cable channels. These channels didn't come to your home over the airwaves. They came on a cable. Someone actually had to dig a trench, bring the cable to your house. And this is when a bunch of other channels that are now household names first came into existence. You're watching Superstation WTBS, Atlanta. This is Home Box Office. Home Box Office, otherwise known as? HBO. And in 1979, another mainstay of the cable world launched, ESPN. Now, today, ESPN is a powerhouse. It carries NBA playoff games, professional baseball, Monday night football. Monday night football, Raiders, Broncos. But on its first day, this is what it sounded like. (laughs) It's really hard to believe that this is actually what ESPN sounded like back then. Yeah, let's just say it was a uh, humble beginning. With a doubleheader of games... Two of the professional slow-pitch league World Series games will be seen tonight. Softball on ESPN. Yeah, nothing against softball here, but uh, I think we should say ESPN wasn't much in its early days. And it sounds crazy now, but no one was even sure if people would want to watch a channel like ESPN. Nobody at that time had any idea of how successful or not successful this new thing called cable was. This is Steve Efros. He's a cable industry consultant. He's been in the business for decades. Cable television was extremely expensive to build, so nobody was sure that the infrastructure would pay for itself. And uh, the programming was so dominated by the broadcast networks that it wasn't clear that anybody could compete with them. Now, at this point, at the very beginning of our story, at the very beginning of cable, the people with the power are the ones laying the pipes, the cable providers. Today, you know them as your cable company, Time Warner or Comcast or whatever. And uh, back in the 70s, the pipe wasn't that fat. It could accommodate maybe 20 channels total. So if you're one of these startup cable channels, you got to find a way onto that pipe or you die. No one sees you. So say you're ESPN. You don't have any big name sports yet. Remember, this is your program. Now, softball is one of those rare sports that everybody knows something about. But if you're ESPN, you still have to find a way to get lots of eyeballs. So in these early days, it actually pays the cable companies to get into homes. Back in the 70s, ESPN was the upstart, and the pipe owners, the cable companies, held all the cards. ESPN, they'd say, if you want on our pipe, you got to pay. And the situation persisted for a couple years, but fairly quickly, the power began to shift. Turns out there were people who wanted to watch softball World Series and judo championships and soccer matches and all the other weird stuff ESPN was putting on TV back then. I myself was a frequent viewer of ESPN around this time, and I remember watching something called Australian Rules Football, which was a totally crazy game that I loved. It was sort of like rugby, sort of like American football. 
but without helmets and pads. I never actually figured out the rules. I didn't even know the Australians played football. Yeah, they, they do. Uh, but the point is, enough people were watching this stuff on ESPN that it was able to sell ads. Which then made ESPN more money, so it could acquire more popular sports, which led to a kind of turning point for ESPN and for the story of how we got this crazy cable payment system we have today. This is Steve Efros again. When they succeeded in getting the contract for, let's say, Major League Baseball or, or um, uh, football, that made them real. Now ESPN was real. Tons of people start tuning in. It's no longer some little niche startup. It was an essential part of television. Cable customers were now saying, we have to have ESPN. Cable company, you got to put us in your pipe. And that meant the tables were turned. No longer were channels like ESPN paying to get on cable systems. Now they could demand money from the cable companies. Pay us or you can't have us. And the same thing was happening with a lot of other cable channels. Discovery, CNN, the more mainstream they became, the more money they could demand from the pipe owners, the cable companies. And those cable companies, of course, then passed those fees on to their customers with higher and higher cable bills. And this shift in the balance of power from the pipe owners to the channels, the content creators, it set off a chain of events that eventually got us to the crazy cable payment system we have today. What happened next came in 1992, and it involves those giant and powerful broadcast networks, the ones you can get for free over the airwaves through an antenna. Back then, there were basically four big ones, CBS, NBC, ABC, and Fox. They were considered different by law from the cable channels. They were considered kind of like a public good. You could get them free over the airwaves, and so the law said they had to come free over cable. Of course, the big four networks thought this is horrible. They're looking over at ESPN and these other upstart cable channels like CNN and TBS who are getting paid by the pipe owners. The big four networks are saying, hey, you should pay us too. After all, we have a lot more viewers and we have all this. And this. And this. And in 1992, Congress changed the law and made it legal, made it possible for the big four networks to say, you want Mad About You or home improvement in your pipe, you got to pay us. Now, for the cable companies, the pipe owners, this law change in 1992 was a nightmare. They'd been getting Seinfeld for free, and now they were going to get asked to pay for it. Howard Hominoff remembers that time. Back then, he was working for one of the big pipe owners at the time, a cable company called Continental Cablevision. Suddenly, it was facing a threat it had never seen before. I was woken up at, um, uh, at um, uh, I believe, quarter of three in the morning, East Coast time, by our lawyer on the West Coast, telling me that the broadcaster, uh, w- as of midnight, as that was the deadline, as of midnight, uh, would be withdrawing their signal if we didn't pay. The pipe owners were worried about a very expensive precedent getting set, and so they held firm. Our position had been clear that while we would be open to any number of cooperative relationships, we would not simply write a check for cash for carriage. In other words, a standoff. A standoff that was happening all over the cable world at this time. The big networks were saying, the days of carrying us for free are over. But the pipe owners, the cable companies, were saying, no, we're not going to start paying for something which we've been getting for free for the last decade. And, as is often the case with the standoff, a compromise emerged. And that compromise is a big part of how we got to this crazy cable system today where we're forced to pay for lots of channels that we never watch. 
The compromise was this. The big four broadcasters said, okay, we won't make you pay for Fox or NBC, but here's what we want instead. We'll start some other channels. We'll throw up some content, produce them on the cheap, and you have to buy those from us. Here's cable analyst Steve Efros. Fox created, you know, FX or Fox News or and uh, NBC had MSNBC, you know, uh, things like that. And so, yes, we had a, a new set of channels. And at some point, this business of bundling all of these channels together and tying them together and saying, it, you've got to you, the cable operator, are required to carry these other five of my channels in order to get the right to carry my network affiliate in your market. And the cable operator had no choice. Okay. And that's the situation we've got today. Howard Hamanoff, the cable industry consultant, says those tense negotiations that he was part of in the early 90s, they also continue to this day, often around the end of the year when the contracts between the pipe owners and the content providers, the ESPNs and CBSs, are up for renewal. I've, I have clients on both sides of these kinds of negotiations who haven't had a good New Year's Eve in many years uh, and who are holed up in hotels, uh, wargaming, uh, going back and forth into, into rooms, out of rooms, and, and trying to get things resolved uh, before a midnight December 31st deadline. And sometimes they don't. And sometimes they don't. CBS is giving New York a big black eye. This summer, a fight between Time Warner Cable and CBS broke down and spilled out from those hotel rooms into the public. Time Warner said CBS was asking for too much money. CBS said in an ad of its own that Time Warner was keeping you from watching your favorite shows. No Under the Dome. No Big Brother. No NCIS. No Big Bang Theory. No NFL or PGA Championship or U.S. Open Tennis. No 60 Minutes. What are we going to do? <laughs> In the end, the two sides finally made up. We don't know the terms. It's always confidential. But we know CBS got more money from the cable company and, by extension, each of us who pays for cable. Now, there is an argument that this crazy cable payment system we have arrived at through this series of historical accidents is actually a bargain for us, the cable consumer. There are studies out there, and the industry loves to point you to them, that say if you switched to a pure a la carte system... It actually wouldn't work out so well for you, the consumer. So let's go with what I tried to buy at the very beginning in that Time Warner store in New York. I wanted Comedy Central, CNN, and ESPN. The studies show that in an a la carte world, those channels would cost something like 20 bucks a month each. Because, think of it, in an a la carte world, there are fewer people actually paying for those channels. So if they want to produce the same content, they'd have to charge each of them more. So let's say the average person gets, I don't know, four channels, 20 bucks each. That's 80 bucks, which is basically what we're paying today for 500 channels. So the argument goes, if we're going to be paying the same no matter what, it's better to get 500 channels than just four. Now, there are other studies that show in an a la carte world, things would be better we would have a better selection of the channels that we actually want, and it actually would work out to be cheaper than the current model. The problem is it's all theoretical right now, and there are very, very strong forces which want to keep this bundled system in place. But there is one force that is pushing us in the direction of a la carte, a very powerful force in his own right. Here, you can meet him. I'm Seth Maxson, interning right now at uh, Planet Money. And uh, how old are you? I'm 27. Are you a cable television customer? I'm not. I feel like most of my friends do the same thing as me. And there are a lot of Seths out there, and their numbers appear to be growing. During a recent editorial meeting here at Planet Money, of the eight employees in the room, four of them did not have cable. 
And of those four, three were among the youngest people on the team. They live in their own a la carte world. They pick what they want through iTunes or they stream it over Netflix. One of them, who shall remain nameless, after hearing a version of the story that you just heard, had a question at the end. There's one thing I'm confused about, this person said. What exactly is cable again? TV is the thing this year. Oh, yes, TV is the thing this year. Radio was great, but now it's out of date. TV is the thing this year. As always, we want to know what you thought of the show. We're at planetmoney at npr.org. Also, you can visit us at Spotify, Facebook, Twitter. You can visit our blog, npr.org slash money, where we have a graph of the most and least expensive cable channels. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Dan Bobkoff. Thanks for listening. TV is the thing this year. Yes, radio was great, but now it's out of date. TV is the thing this year.